Hallelujah. Let's talk about understanding spiritual gifts. Father, open our hearts. You've been doing so many good things in our midst, Lord. Just in your word today, open our hearts to understand the things that you are saying to us, the things that you're doing in us, the things that you want us to hear from you. But more than that, Lord, equip us, fill us, use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is part eight, and uh, we've been talking about the wisdom gifts out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, the one gift that we did not get to, discerning of spirits. And uh, here's the definition of that gift. It's insight into the spiritual realm, the ability to know accurately what spiritual influence is motivating a person or situation. So God, his Holy Spirit living in us, reveals to us what is going on spiritually behind the scenes. I really think we need this gift more than ever before. The church in the age in which we live needs to have spiritual discernment. Do you agree with me? And people say, how do we know that's of the Lord? I've had uh, questions about last week, and people say, well, you know, how do we know? People are falling over. Is that in the Bible? And what about how do we know it's for real? How do we know it's not counterfeit? Well, how do you know? You need that gift of discerning of spirits. And believe me, there are a lot of people that apparently don't have this gift that could use it because there are some people that are getting into trouble spiritually. There's, there are some examples here, John 1, 47 through 51, Acts 16, 16 through 18, 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. We're going to look at uh, some of these, but here's one example out of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. Here's an example of a spirit that was not of the Lord operating in a situation. And it says, when Simon saw that the spirit, and this is Simon, remember he was a sorcerer who was confronting the apostles. When Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So here's a guy trying to buy the gifts of the Lord. How many of you know that money doesn't work in buying the gifts of the Holy Spirit? They're free, but you have to have a heart yielded to the Lord in obedience to him. So Peter answered, he says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. And then here's the discernment. Listen to what Peter says. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. God revealed to Peter what was really going on in Simon's heart. Mature leaders need the gift of discernment. I can't tell you how critical it is to have this gift along with the other gifts. They work hand in hand and to know what's operating behind the scenes. I'll never forget uh, years ago, there was a, a man in our church and he would stand up and he had these words and they were always wonderful words about me. Now, how many of you would love on a Sunday morning to have somebody get up and start prophesying and said, you know, the, the pastor is this amazing guy and all that. Wouldn't you love that if, you know, but something sat wrong in my spirit. And I said, there's something wrong with this. Lord, show me. And it took a couple of weeks and the Lord revealed it to me. He said, this is the same kind of spirit that was operating in that slave girl in the book of Acts who had a familiar spirit. He said, this guy is not prophesying. 
by the Holy Spirit, he is trying to set himself as a prophet in authority over you and come into the church and, and operate in false prophecy and lead people astray, and you need to expose him. And when I confronted him, uh, that led to a series of very interesting manifestations that were not manifestations of the Holy Spirit, okay? But sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Is the Lord behind this? Is God the one that's doing this? Or is the enemy behind this? Because I'll tell you, remember when Paul and Silas set that girl free right before they set her free, what was she saying? These men are prophets of the Most High God. I mean, isn't, there's nothing wrong with that information-wise, is there? But the spirit behind it was seeking to authenticate and attach itself to the people of God so it could continue to deceive at a deeper level. This is why we need discernment today. Discerning of spirits. Peter discerned the real motives of Simon's heart. There was a stronghold of iniquity in Simon's character. And usually when people have a spirit operating in them, there is a spiritual wound behind that. He said, Simon, I see that you have bitterness there bitterness in your heart. There's anger and there's unforgiveness that has festered and become bitterness. And because of that, the enemy has been able to work inside of you. Now, I want those of you that do spiritual warfare, those of you that God is using in this gift to understand, when the Lord gives you wisdom, he also wants to give you a heart of compassion in dealing with a person. Sometimes we need to be very tough in how we deal with people, but we need to understand that most people that are captive to the enemy are there because they've been hurt, they've been abused, there's a wound in their soul, and demonic beings are like sharks that go to blood. When there is a wound in your soul, they will go after that part of your soul and try to attach themselves to you and, and try to keep you captive so that you can't respond to the Lord. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? So to have that gift of discernment and know there's something there that's standing in the way, often we can't see people get set free until they deal with things. And I don't believe Simon would ever get free. We don't know the rest of the story, although historians have some interesting things to say about Simon the sorcerer. We don't know if they're true. It's not on the level of the Bible. But I do know this. If Simon repented of his bitterness, God could have set him free and healed his heart. And I think he could have been used for the kingdom of God. I hope that's what happened. We don't know the rest of that uh, story. There are seven scriptural ways that God reveals things. How do you know when God is speaking to you? How do you know that God is giving you discernment? And this goes for any of the wisdom gifts. How do you know that God is revealing things? There are seven scriptural ways. The first, some people describe what I call a gut feeling. This is one of the hardest. Because you know that you know that you know and you don't know why you know. Okay? You just know in your heart that there's something wrong in a situation. You drive into a town, you walk into a building, you come into a meeting of people, and there's something in your spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, isn't the Holy Spirit going to respond to what's happening around you? And sometimes I think what we're feeling is the Holy Spirit interacting with our spirit saying, there's danger here, there's something going on, there's something that's not right, you need to be aware of this. The same way that when I uh, you know, I'm thinking one time I went into a bank and I'd never met this person before. It was a teller and I just knew that she was a Christian. There was a witness of the spirit and we were both just kind of glowing in the Lord. And I asked her and she said, yes. And we started praising God, but I knew she was a Christian before she told me you could sense the presence of God in her life in the same way. When there's something bad operating, there's a witness of the spirit in us that says danger, be careful here, watch out. So there's a gut feeling. The second way that God speaks to us is he gives us visions or pictures. 
I find out that a lot of people that receive these, and it's not always when we say vision, that sounds very mystical. It's not always a full-on, like a Hollywood movie. Sometimes God gives you a flash, just a picture of something. And you go, why am I seeing that? Why is that image coming into my mind? Now, you need to be careful here because when the Lord gives you an image, we have to go through the steps of interpretation to understand what that is. And we're going to do a class this fall called Hearing the Voice of the Spirit, and we'll tell you more how to do that. But we need to interpret. So God gives you a picture of the Eiffel Tower, and you go, oh, I'm supposed to move to Paris. Great idea. Pack up everything in my house, sell everything, and I'm on my way. Maybe the Lord's telling you to pray for Paris. Maybe the Lord is telling you that there's going to be a terrorist attack in Paris and that you need to pray. Maybe the Lord, this is why when the Lord gives you a picture, pictures are very subjective. We need to be careful in saying, okay, Lord, why are you giving me this picture? What is this about? Sometimes you'll get the picture, but you won't get the interpretation, and there'll be other Christians around you that God will use you to give the, um, the interpretation of what that picture means. Sometimes I've gotten a picture and I've shared this story many times, but I think it's one of the funniest ones. I was praying for a guy in Rochester at this church. I didn't know any of these people. And uh, as I prayed for him, I got this, this room. The ceilings were like 14 feet high, and all the walls were filled with photographs, beautiful framed photographs. And I said, this is really strange, but I'm getting this. It's like a photographic studio or an artistic studio. And uh, I had no idea what that meant. So I said, does that mean anything to you? And he, everybody was laughing, and he's crying. And I thought, did I offend him? Well, he had just quit his job at Eastman Kodak. The Lord told him, I want you to step out on your own, and I want you to develop your gift as a photographer. And he went to church that night, and he said, Lord, I, I can't walk away from Eastman Kodak's got retirement. They've got all these benefits. Well, it was shortly after that that they laid all these people off. He got out at the right time. Very interesting. Listen to the Lord. But he said, Lord, I need a sign from you. If I'm going to take this step of faith, show me a sign. Because I didn't know him at all, and I said that to him, he just laughed and he said, I'm going to do it. I know this is of the Lord. Now, I I had no idea, but I got that picture. So sometimes the Lord will give you pictures. The third thing is visions or trances. This is a little bit more rare. We see this happening in Peter in Acts chapter 10. Remember, he's on the roof of his house, and literally, he's awake But the Lord brings him into a trance. Now, a trance almost sounds like it's new age or whatever. Essentially, what the Lord did is he took Peter into the heavenlies, caught him up so that he was more aware of what was happening in the spiritual realm than he was aware of his five senses at that moment. This is rare, but it happens. I know people that this has happened to where the Lord has caught them up in the heavenlies for a moment. It's only happened to me a couple times, but it's, it's kind of a deeper type of vision. Uh, The fourth thing are dreams of warning or revelation. How many times do we see this happen in Scripture? God warned the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, 12, through a dream. He said, don't go back and tell Herod what he wants to know. Don't tell him where the baby is. And so they went back to their country. They went by a different route. Okay, they left and went back to their countries uh, without talking to Herod at all. How did they know that? It was a dream. Can I tell you, and I really believe this, more of you are getting dreams than you know. Some of you are saying, ah, that was just the pizza I ate late last night. Now, we all have pizza dreams, is it true? (laughs) Don't you start eating hot peppers before you go to bed and say that it's God. On the other hand, I think there are times, what does the Bible say in the last days? I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and my 
Young men will see visions. My old men will see dreams. Old men see dreams because we're sleeping more. I know it's an old joke, but it still works. It still works. Amen. That's right. And the whole point here is God can talk to you whether you're awake or you're sleeping. Okay? He can get through to you. Sometimes the Lord will give you a dream and you just know. Some of you heard my story. I was told when I was uh, in my late teen years, Janice and I, I think we were engaged and I was uh, adopted as a child. I was asking somebody in my family if they knew anything about the adoption. And my uncle said, well, uh, your uh, birth mom died. Your birth mom and dad died in a car accident. And, uh, you know, I trusted this guy. And I thought, well, he knew about it. He was there when my parents adopted me. And so many years later, in my 40s, one night there I am dreaming. And this guy walks up to me. And he's got this all-white suit on. And he walks up and he says, your birth mom is very ill. She's looking for you. You need to find her now. I woke up and I couldn't get that dream out of my head. Well, you probably bother you too, okay? And I went down and where Janice and I were having coffee and she said, I think you need to pursue this. And I did and I found out my birth mom hadn't died. My uncle had lied to me. I think he did that thinking he was doing the right thing so I wouldn't go on the search it was about five or six weeks later that I found my birth mom. And if you want to know the rest, you'll have to buy the book. I'm done with chapter 14. I'm still working on it. It's a long story. But I, yeah, it is an amazing story. But everything the Lord said, and it was funny because even the people in my life, I'll never forget, Jennifer, I walked into the office. You had a word of knowledge about my mom and told me. It was almost like the Lord was saying, this is supernatural. I want you to find her. I never would have known. I never would have done that unless the Lord gave me that dream. You may not get dreams often, but when there's a dream that sticks in your heart, go to people that you trust and say, hey, listen, I had a dream. The Lord can use dreams to do different things, to warn you about something that's coming up in your life, to warn you about people that are operating in a wrong spirit. The Lord can use a dream to give you guidance. Be careful about that. Weigh everything by the word. The Lord can use dreams to do all sorts of things, and uh, I believe he speaks to people in dreams more than we know. The fifth thing, angelic revelation. Anybody here have an angel appear to them? There might be some. I don't know. Okay, a couple of you. That's a little bit more rare, too. Uh, Joseph, the um, husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Matthew 2, 19 through 20, an angel appears to him and warns him, and he says, you need to get this baby and mother out of town. You need to move them to Egypt, or Herod is going to kill you. So an angel gives them, and remember another time, Peter's locked up in prison, and this is funny, I love Peter. Peter thinks it's a dream. And the angel says, no, I'm real. You need to get up, get going. I'm letting you out of prison. And Peter finally gets up and moves out of there. It's kind of a funny story. But sometimes uh, the Lord will use angels. I've got to tell you, many times in countries where there's heavy persecution, some of the stories that I've heard about angels are just amazing. And uh, I told the guys at our men's group yesterday morning, I said, I think some of the great moments in our life, the Lord is going to play back in heaven, but he's going to show us where the angels were, sitting on the hood of my car, or sitting on the trunk and keeping the car that was going to run into me behind. Where's Derek, okay? Share that story, okay? I'm sure we have more angels operating in our life that we know. And here's what's really cool. When I pray for my grandkids, the Bible says in Matthew 18 that the angels that minister to our children have first access to God. Go back and read it, Matthew chapter 18. So I pray, Lord, those angels that are around my grandkids, take good care of them. Make sure they're where they're supposed to be, okay? Angels minister to us. 
Another thing is, and this is uh, going to shock many of you, number six, the word. Read it. Know the word. Okay? I was thinking of the story about this young Christian that was praying and praying, saying, God, I want to hear you so bad. I want to hear your voice. I want a revelation. And finally he said, read the word. (laughs) We need to know God's word. As a matter of fact, the word is the thing that we measure all other revelations by. The word is what is the measuring stick to help us know if the other revelations are on task. And the seventh is other people who have wisdom and discernment for you. Now, you just don't take what people say and do it automatically. Obviously, the more mature people are, the more trusted they are in your life, the more weight you give to their words. But God will use other people in your life to come out of nowhere and give you spiritual wisdom. He will use them with a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. But these, in all the wisdom gifts, these are the things that happen. Now, back to discerning of spirits, there are six applications in ministry. Why does God give us this? Exposing false doctrine or teaching. Aiding believers in prayer and intercession. In other words, the gift of discernment, wouldn't it help to know spiritually what you were dealing with and what's behind a situation? I remember uh, years ago in another community, this was when we were involved in another ministry, I was going through a real time of battle. It was early in the morning, about one or two in the morning, and the Lord said, I'm going to show you the spiritual stronghold that you're up against in this community. It really motivated me to pray when the Lord showed me this creature, this this, uh, demonic being that was uh, standing against our community. And man, did I pray. It exposes the devices of Satan or demonic forces. Number four, it determines the root cause of a person's problem or sickness. We sometimes as Christians get uh, caught up in in a pattern and we try to duplicate things that have happened before. Can you imagine the disciples saw Jesus uh, spit on the ground, make mud, and put it on somebody's eyes so that their eyes would be healed? But did Jesus do that every time? So sometimes I think we see a healing happen and we try to duplicate that when we really need discernment to know what the Lord is saying in that situation and what's going on behind the scenes. There are different roots for sickness. Some sicknesses can be caused by demonic oppression and attack. You rebuke those sicknesses. Some sicknesses are are, are organic. We've had words of knowledge about people taking supplements and it's changed the way that they live or changing their diet. See, God can do different things different ways. And by the way, don't do everything to destroy your body and then ask God to heal you. (laughs) Lord, I don't know why I've got high blood pressure. Let me finish this third pizza. Lord, would you just bless this pizza right now in the name? I'm picking on pizza today because one of my weaknesses. <laughs> Janice makes pizza, and after the 14th slice, I go, I better stop, but it's so good. <laughs> but exp- ex- uh, finding the root of a situation. Does the person need healing, or do they need to be set free from something? Let me give you another possibility. There is a sin or compromise in their life, and if they repent of that, God will heal them. But here's the, here's the problem. If you think that that's the root in everybody's life, you'll put condemnation on people. That's why we need to be mature and pray for discernment. I know some people that have gone through freedom class, and God's done this amazing stuff in them, but then they get caught in this loop where they think that 
uh, it's always repentance that, you know, that has to happen for that person. Sometimes God just needs to heal them. The person hasn't done anything that's led to that sickness. It's a broken world we live in. Does that make sense? So we need to be mature, and the gift of discernment is one of the maturity measures that the church desperately needs in this hour. I would tell you, if you're praying for somebody and you don't have wisdom yet and you're not sure, tell them, I'm still waiting on the Lord. I'm not sure how to pray. That's valid. That's okay. Avoiding a dangerous situation. How many times has somebody warned somebody here when something dangerous was happening? All of a sudden, there was that discernment, and the Lord gave that, and you just knew it. Understanding the underlying motivation of a person, group of people, a family system, or a conflict. Sometimes there will be conflict in families or job situations. And I've got to tell you, if you ask for discernment, God will show you what's really behind that whole situation. He'll give you the keys on how to pray, and you can unlock that situation and see God's glory and power come in. Every family situation has spiritual compromises that need to be dealt with by the Lord. Let me just give you a clue. If you're praying for your family, ask for discernment. He'll show you what to pray, how to do that. Can we take a few minutes and just, uh, I'm done talking about the gift of discernment. Can we talk about what God did in our midst last week? I thought it was really good to think, and I've had two questions this week from people. So I thought, let's apply the gift of discernment to what we saw last week. One of the questions is, what does it mean to be slain in the spirit? How many of you know what I'm talking about? When somebody falls over. Now, I want to tell you this. I don't see that term in the Bible. How many of you have seen slain in the spirit in the Bible? Closest I get is Ananias and Sapphira, and you don't want that. You want to be slain in the spirit. That's Ananias and Sapphira. That's not good. Okay? So I prefer to say this. And we, we, sometimes we get these things, we come up with these terms, and they scare the socks off of people. You know? You want to be slain in the spirit? No, thanks. I'll wait till next week, maybe. <laughs> At that other church I'm going to now. <laughs> How about I prefer falling before the Lord? A little less mystical. How about falling under his power or his anointing? Some say there's no scriptural basis. They don't see it in scripture. And some go so far as to say it's demonic. And nobody has said that this week, by the way. I want to give you a dangerous caveat. Do you know, uh, people have told me uh, again and again, I always thought that I committed the unpardonable sin. How many of you thought you committed the unpardonable sin at one point in your life? The fact that you're here means that you didn't. <laughs> okay? Do you know what the unpardonable sin is? That is believing that the work of the Holy Spirit is demonic. Do you know why it can't be forgiven? Because as long as you think that the work of the Holy Spirit is of the devil, you're not going to let him work in your life and you're lost. If you come to a moment where you repent and you ask God to forgive you, because some of us were even raised in religious traditions where we were taught to fear the Holy Spirit. Okay? You haven't committed the unpardonable sin if you say, Lord, forgive me. I know, I know that this is your Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? People that are locked into this place that think the Holy Spirit is demonic, they can't receive from the Holy Spirit. They will hold back they will stay away, and that is the impardonable sin. There's no other definition for that. Look at that in Scripture. And then the other thing is, I've had people ask, isn't it wrong to get emotional? We've got a problem in Christianity. I'm so, I, I am so glad we just did the Emotionally Healthy Leader 
uh, it's a great class that we're going to do again because, and uh, we're also bringing, we're going to be doing a conference at the end of September this year with a guy named David Ekman. David Ekman works with the crew, used to be Campus Crusade, and in his book uh, where he talks about uh, God healing our emotions, he says we used to have this little uh, fact, faith, feeling thing, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you know, and the feelings weren't important there at the end of the train. He says, that's not true. We were lying to people. Emotions are very important. Jesus moved with compassion, healed them. Emotions are part of who God created you to be. And this idea that we're supposed to go to church with our hands Velcroed to our side and talking in tones like this has nothing to do with Scripture. You heard me twice in the Scriptures I read before the service today. They praise God with a loud voice. In heaven, there was silence for a half hour. The rest of the time, there's a lot of praise going on. And if we want things to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we better get over our ideas of what we think things should be like. Well, you know, God gets confused when we're all talking to him at the same time. (laughs) Where does that come from? I don't know. So when God's manifest presence comes, what happens? Let's take a look at this. God's manifest presence comes in tangible ways at at various times, and here are some of the results. When the power of God comes upon a person or a group of people, all sorts of physical things happen. All sorts of emotional things happen. So here's one of the first examples, Second Chronicles. God's glory fills the temple. This is where Solomon is dedicating the temple in the Old Testament. And he's got 120 priests. Gee, 120 keeps coming up. 120 priests, and they're there sounding trumpets and lifting up praises to God. Man, they were making a lot of noise for God. They were worshiping him. And it says, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites, which were singers, all of them, Asaph of Heman, Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals, they were covered with felt, so there was no loud noise in the temple. I just want you to know that. I'm being sarcastic here. Cymbals. In psalteries and harps, they stood at the east end of the altar, and with them, 120 priests sounding trumpets. I had a friend who's an Orthodox Jew tell me once, he said, we never have more than one shofar at a time. I said, Second Chronicles 5. He said, I've never read that. I said, there were at least 120 back then. And it came even to pass that the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound. They were all lifting their voice and their instruments, one sound to be heard in praise, thanking the Lord. And they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals instruments. Don't you wish you could have been there? It says of music, they, and praise the Lord, saying, for, God, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. God's glory comes down in the temple, and the priest can't even stand up and do their job. Everybody falls before the Lord. It's a natural response when God shows up that you are in a position of humility. I used to think that someday God's going to come, and it says every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that God was going to say, hey, you all have to kneel down. Listen, when God reveals his glory and Jesus is revealed as he really is, your knees are going to give way and your face is going to be on the carpet. That's all there is to it. 
When the Lord shows up, there's a natural response. I love when I see people in our church on their face in prayer before the Lord. There's something powerful. I love when people automatically kneel down. You sense that the Lord and his holy presence is in this place, and you know that you just want to honor him. You're saying, Lord, I bow the knee to you. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. So they couldn't stand for a reason. It's a natural thing. Let's look at a couple more examples. Uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. I had somebody say, there's no evidence of people falling before the Lord in Scripture. And I want to tell you something. If you've been taught certain things, the enemy can use that as a stronghold. You will not even see things in Scripture. I'm, I'm warning you right now. If you're in that place, and God is dealing with some people this morning, I, I feel it in my spirit. If you were raised with that whole thing that God doesn't allow this or whatever, open your hearts today. So here they are, Elijah's confronting the prophets of Baal, 1 Kings 18, 36 through 40. In verse 37, he says, O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know you, O Lord, our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, that even licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried, cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. And the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. These were idolaters, false priests, false prophets. They could not stand because of the glory of the Lord. Next one. This is 1 Samuel 19, 18 through 24. King Saul is in a place where his heart has become wicked and hardened. He is so bitter that David is getting recognition, that David is being recognized as the next king of Israel. So Saul sends the army out to arrest David. And I love this. As the army gets near David, the Spirit of the Lord falls on them, and these guys all start prophesying. By the way, one of the marks of the Holy Spirit moving on a group of people is their mouths begin to move. They begin to proclaim things in the Spirit. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, there's a, a prophecy, there's a prophetic unction that is released, okay? Well, finally, Saul says, enough of this, I'm going to go out myself. And this is what happens to Saul when he goes out and tries to arrest David. So David escaped and went to Ramah to see Samuel, and he told him all that Saul had done to him. And Samuel took David with him to live at Naoth. And when the report reached Saul that David was at Naoth, he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived, they saw Samuel leading a group of prophets who were prophesying. So the Spirit came upon Saul's men, and they also began to prophesy. That's one way to conquer an army. I love this. The Spirit of God came on these guys, you know? When Saul heard what happened, he sent other troops, but they too prophesied. The prophetic movement was growing greatly at that particular season. Same thing happened a third time. And finally, Saul went to Ramah, arrived at the great well in Seku. Where are Samuel and David, he demanded. There at Naoth and Ramah, someone told him. But on the way to Naoth and Ramah, the Spirit of God came even upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. All the way to Naoth, he tore off his clothes, lay naked on the ground all day and night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. And the people who were watching exclaimed, hey, what's going on? Even Saul's among the prophets. Okay, now, first of all, I need to endorse this. I'm not telling you you should take your clothes off when you prophesy. Why did that happen? I believe that God was humbling Saul. He was literally humiliating him because Saul's heart had become so proud. But what happens is he falls on the ground and prophesies all night. 
Never saw anybody fall down in Scripture. When God's presence comes, what happens? Let's look at the New Testament. John 18, 5 through 6. The people who came to arrest Jesus. And by the way, you don't have to be a spiritual giant to fall. You just need to respond to the presence of God. Notice, these are all enemies of the, of the Lord in a way. But I love this. In John 18, 5 through 6. These people come to arrest Jesus. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says, who do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus saith unto them, I am he. By the way, there's no he in the Greek here. He just says, I am. Which is the tetragrammaton, Yahweh, the name of God. I will be who I will be. He says, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed them, stood with them. As soon as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Son of a gun. <laughs> Happened again. Wow. Wouldn't you love to have been there? And this proves something to me. Nobody took Jesus' life. He laid it down. He could have sent one word and all the armies of earth would have been out, over, done. He had that much power. He says something later when he's talking to Pilate and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, my kingdom is not fully here yet. When it comes, our troops will come. <laughs> but right now, my kingdom is not of this world, so I'm not going to fight against you. And he laid his life down because that's what the father was telling him in that moment. Do we understand this? How many of us want to put God in a box? And there's a problem in the Western church. We have so intellectualized the gospel that we're afraid of anything spiritual happening to us. I think like King Saul, we need to be humiliated before the Lord. And we need to open our hearts. Two other things and then we're going to close. Can I real quickly? The Apostle Paul in Acts 9 it says, Now as he was on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We don't know. Some people say Saul was on a horse. Some people say he was walking. All they know is he ended up on his face before the Lord. He said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city. And when Paul got up, he couldn't see. And he was led into Damascus, and we know the rest of the story. How about Acts chapter 4? Sometimes when God shows up, it's not falling, but the place where we are is literally shaken. Mike? Where's Mike? Right there. And you go, what's going on here? The presence of God is so real, I can't stop shaking. The place is shaken. Acts 4. Now, Lord, hear their threats. Give your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. I want those kind of prayer meetings in my church. Where you go home and you say, man, the place literally rocked. Can we say that? Here's the fruit of that, by the way. It wasn't just we are going to have a great prayer meeting and we'll all get blessed and we'll talk about it. Here's the rest of the evidence. It says, then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers are united in heart and mind. Everyone claimed, felt that what he owned was not his own. In other words, it belonged to the Lord, and they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus. I see six results of the Spirit of God shaking that place, and they're all good. We could all use those in the church right now. So frankly, the church needs to be shaken up a little bit by Holy Spirit. 
I say, come Holy Spirit. But we say, you know, people start getting into this weird stuff, you know, praying over prayer cloths and sending them and people are healed, things like that. And yeah, I'm being a little sarcastic here. Acts 19, verses 5 through 12. Paul shows up in the, or excuse me, God shows up in the spirit of Ephesus. It says, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Old Testament and New, almost every time the Spirit of the Lord comes on people, they begin to open their mouth and they prophesy. Those people that were speaking in tongues, it says they were declaring the wonders of God in other languages. It's praise, folks. The natural response when the presence of God comes on us. There were about 12 men in all. And Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue, took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years, so the people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had been merely touched by his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. How many of you would be willing to say, God, whatever you want to do? Do you want to be like the Ephesian church? When I was a young Christian, I prayed that we would, God would restore the New Testament church. I wasn't specific enough. Because I don't want the Corinthian church right now. <laughs> I'd rather have the Ephesian church. Can we say, Lord, just come and do in our midst what you want to do? When the Lord shows up, things aren't normal. He set up all the principles that govern our universe, like gravity. But when God shows up in a room, sometimes... He violates his own principles. Those are called supernatural because they go beyond his natural laws that he set up to govern the universe. Supernatural is when God shows up and does his work in us and we need to be open to all that he wants to do in us. Can we stand together? God gives us a warning. 2 Timothy 3, 3-5, he says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We can see evidence of that sometimes in our culture, can't we? But he says something in verse 5. He said, these people will have a form of godliness but deny its power. He says, have nothing to do with such people. Folks, there are people that want to sell us religion that's devoid of the power of God. I don't want religion. I want Jesus. I want Holy Spirit to come and do in us everything that he wants to do. He's not an impersonal force. He is a member of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Can we just close our eyes for a moment? I just want to respond to the Lord. I felt it was one thing that the Lord wanted me to call us to today. Some of us are saying, Lord, I'll go so far, but I'm not going to go over this line, or I'm not going to allow you to do this, or I'm not going to go here. And the Lord is saying, I want total surrender and abandonment. How many of you would say, I've been putting conditions on God, and I just want to surrender right now? Would you raise your hand? Because I think there are a lot of people 
Now let's surrender. Raise the other hand, okay? Can we just raise our hands to the Lord? Sometimes when we raise our hands, it's like lifting our arms as children to daddy. But I think in this case, is raising our hands, we're saying, Lord, we surrender. We have no resistance against you. We have no, nothing that is against you. And we say, come, Holy Spirit, and move in our midst. Just say that in your hearts right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Move in our midst. I just give you free access to our life. And Lord, as pastor of this church, we want to welcome you, Holy Spirit. I know our elders and our leaders feel the same way. We just want to welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come. We want the church to be like you've designed us to be, full of your Holy Spirit. This is what the Lord is calling us to this morning. It's just a place of surrender that says, Lord, forgive me for the times when I have resisted you. Forgive me for the times when I have had unbelief in my heart. Forgive me for the times when I've been cranky and I've made fun of other people that were maybe pressing into things that I was uncomfortable with. Sometimes we make fun of things that we're uncomfortable with. I'm thinking of David and his wife, Michael, if you remember. He was out dancing before the ark as they brought the ark back to the temple. And he went in and his wife just let loose on him and said, you're such a fool out there dancing with all the slave girls, out there making a fool of yourself. And David would say, I'll become even more undignified. I just surrender to you. Oh God, come Holy Spirit. Can we just say that? Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Bless you, God. Bless you, Lord. Just come. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We ask you for a greater revelation of your presence. We want to know you and not just know you. You are the living word. It says the word became flesh and walked among us. You said this is life eternal that we might know you and Jesus Christ, that we might know the Father and know Jesus Christ whom he sent. This is what it's all about. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. I'm just going to ask as uh, Pastor Jeff plays, I'm going to release those that need to go. In a little bit, we'll start the uh, meeting back there, but some may want to just pray for a moment here at the front. If you need prayer, I'll be here for a few minutes to pray uh, for people here at the front. If you just want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you want to be touched by the Spirit of God, even if you need time to say, Lord, I need to get this right with you. I want to repent of having a heart that's closed to you. Take some time just to be before him. Father, as we go today, Lord, just continue to lead us close to you. Whether we stay in prayer or whether we go now, we just pray that your hand of blessing would rest on each of us, that you would bring us deeper in you, Lord, and we ask that you would baptize your church again in your love and in your power. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in the blessing of the Lord.